Download, bet, win. I got to tell you, I really like the sound of that. And with WinBet, it's just that easy. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. So if you're in Colorado or in Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, or right here in sweet Virginia, sign up today to receive a special offer, risk-free $500 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. Download, bet, win. And let's get after it. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in state where WinBet is available. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-270-7117. I was like, okay, he's, he's hip to hip with me. I was like, I'm going to just try and run him, just run, him, run him around the hump. And I remember I couldn't, I couldn't see Tom, but I was like, I was like, I, was like, I don't know. If, I don't know if he stepped up. I don't know what happened. And I just kept rubbing my feet. And uh, then he, then he hip tossed me. And I remember, I remember I popped up and in my head, I was like, I was like, I hope nobody saw that. Huh. And then, then I remembered, I was like, then I remembered, I was like, I was like, shit, I was like, we're on, we're on TV. I think the second floor bathroom might be running. So, uh, want to go catch it? <laughs> Jiggle the handle, dude. That always works. Yeah, no, but seriously, I think it is running. So, I want to. Okay. I don't want to apologize for that, but uh, I did. I well, did. No, nobody's in the office but you. And if there's something wrong with the toilet, I think you're the culprit. No, this I walked in, the thing was running. And then I, I figured maybe somebody was in just before me. I went one. I flush and it's still running. Yeah, this isn't some Kaiser Sose situation. We could wrap this investigation up pretty quickly. It's one of two dudes. Yeah, I, I'm a. Hey, I'm not saying I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in. I'm in studio mini split. So I'm not saying it is prod TMC. I'm just saying it's not me. Okay. All right. Today we have uh, Tristan Wirfs, who I would not let use my toilet. <laughs> I would imagine that. that <laughs> I would imagine that would be a bad, a bad deal. Um, but Tristan Wirfs is a massive tackle for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He will be joining us, Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He will be joining us in about an hour, I'd say, because we got a lot to get through. So if you want to skip ahead, I would encourage you not to uh, listen to the whole thing and then get to Tristan Wirfs. But Tristan Wirfs, I called this, okay? I did say this. I was arguing with some people because he got beat for a sack by Khalil Mack on prime time, you know, um, that somehow that negated his excellence as a rookie. This kid is very good already. He has a chance to be perennially great. When I look at him, when I look at Makai Becton, I look at prototypical 90s tackles. And I think that is so cool that they're coming back. I guess they never left. But he's different than a Trent Williams. I mean, he's more massive. He can float. He can use his width. You know, like 
there are guys, um, and I hate to use the word float after using mm. that imagery a little bit earlier with Tristan Wirfs, but there are guys that are very good and they're very wide. And so not only do you have to be accurate uh, with your hand placement, you have to be powerful, you have to be quick, you have to be twitchy, but your hips have to be good because you have to actually clear their hips. And Tristan Wirfs is built like a doorway. Um, and we'll talk to him about weightlifting, his year with the Bucks, the whole nine yards. Tom Brady probably will come up. 2020 draft, Andrew Thomas, fourth overall to the New York Giants. Jedrick Wills, 10th overall, Cleveland Browns. Mekhi Becton, 11th overall, New York Jets. And Tristan Wirfs, 13th overall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Austin Jackson and Isaiah Wilson also in that first round. Big, big draft for O-Tackles. Huge. And I think Tristan Wirfs has a chance to be the best one. I think it's going to come down to him, Mekhi, and uh, Wills, who I was wrong about. Evidently, kid's pretty good, and I was wrong. I didn't think he was going to be very good, uh, but I was sure right about the other two. Um, Macon, most uh, impressive thing that you can lift. You saw Tristan Wirfs lifting a tree. I've been lifting, as you know, I've been lifting. I put together the weight bench, and I've been lifting 100 pounds on that bench press like 13 times at a time regularly since you've been gone. Since you've nice. been gone. Yeah, that's not going to be layup line today. Why don't you do hello? Kettering, Ohio. Hello! Kettering, Ohio. There's not a lot on Kettering, Ohio until you get to the notable people. Holy shit, there's something in the water there. For a town with presumably a population of about uh, 56,163, they've got a lot of famous people. People I like. Richard Black, obviously the commercial artist and landscape painter who created the Mr. Clean mascot. Where would we be without Richard Black? Chris Borland, one of my favorite linebackers in NFL history because he said, fuck this shit, I'm out. Uh, he said, I don't want to ruin my brain. I'm going to retire after two years. I've made about 600 tackles in San Francisco. Brooklyn Decker, do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She dated Andy Roddick there for a little bit. That's right. And we're going to be talking tennis in a little bit. AJ Hawk. We got a Jim Paxson. We got a John Paxson. We got all the Paxsons. And I'm sorry if I'm forgetting anybody else. But there's a lot, a lot, a lot of famous quality people from Kettering, Ohio. So keep doing what you're doing. And they have a sister city called Kettering, Northamptonshire, England, mm. United Kingdom. That is confusing, guys. I love the UK. Hey, my pledge to the passengers on this GLP train is that I will not do any research regarding potential duplicate Hello Cities. So if I say a place twice, it's not on purpose. I'm just an idiot. We should have a map with pins. That is smart. I uh, and, and, and green pins are listeners where we've identified we have the listeners. And red pins can be the pins that we're still looking for somebody in Kettering, Ohio. Brilliant. Hey, uh, layup line. Little brother, okay. I, I love little brother. Little brother, uh, hip hop group from Durham, North Carolina. They were like a soundtrack to late college and uh, early years in the NFL. They got they got back together for an album last year. And it was awesome, but I love their old stuff. So I, I just uh, I just threw up on the way off Chitlin Circuit 1.5. And Macon, you might like this. There's two guys in Little Brother. The guy I know personally, his name is Big Pooh. Mm, that's phenomenal. I happen to know Fonte, actually. 
Yeah, okay. You don't know Fonte. Uh, but shout out to Joe Scudder. Joe Scudder is actually a listener of the pod. So um, I don't know, big bopper here, Joe Scudder. We can add him to the list. Uh, definitely check out Minstrel Show. That to me is an all-time classic album. Um, and I will make a playlist. Also, uh, Jackass is back if we're talking art. Um, Jackass, the guys got back together. So put that on your radar. I think it's coming out in November. There's like a, a you know, a, a reboot of uh, the good old fashioned Jackass stuff, you know, shooting guys out of cannons, uh, wakeboarding dudes over ramps into shark infested waters. Somebody got bit by a shark um, doing this thing. I know making it, you're not, it's not your cup of tea and you didn't stay up late watching Jackass in high school, but uh, it was that an extreme challenge where people were like, it was basically American Ninja Warrior and there were regular people who weren't training. They were just trying to run through hoops and shit and they'd fall into, into ponds and hit their heads on stuff. I would watch that and Jackass late at night. And there's that fella, Bam Margera, who was ugly to his father, I think was the premise of the show. Yeah, you're right. It's really not my corner. I don't, I don't like people getting injured. Well, these guys do like people getting injured and, uh, and, and they certainly invite it. But I was thinking about this. If you're 40 or 50 years old, it's a lot easier to do a reboot uh, when you're like stunt guys than it is to do like a, hey, pickup game with a bunch of washed up basketball players or, you know, football players playing, you know, seven on seven or albeit like the sport they used to play. You can't do that in your 40s and 50s. Johnny Knoxville has gray hair. But guess what? Johnny Knoxville can still get shot out of a cannon. The only difference is when he hits the ground, it probably hurts more. And that there's nothing purer in his sport than hurting more. So actually, I feel like these guys are in their prime. I think I have tennis elbow. I haven't been playing any tennis. I think it's probably from the weight bench. But I'm just powering through. I'm like a, I'm like a warrior of sorts. So you haven't been playing tennis, but you have tennis elbow. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah, you can get tennis elbow doing any number of things. You don't ever oh, have to pick up a thing. racket. Yeah, you could just be extending your forearm and then bringing it back in and extending it repeatedly. Hell yeah. You can go out there on the golf course and uh, coincident, ironically, ironically pick up tennis elbow. Yeah, you might have some hobbies at home that might create tennis elbow. Yes. I mean, so you, you just, it's not always tennis. Housekeeping. The oh, card, I got you. I got card. you. Masturbation. <laughs> the Ricky Williams interview about 10 days ago here. I thought it was sensational and I don't typically like our work. Um, <laughs> Ricky Williams show did not do numbers. I'm going to peel back the curtain here. The Ricky Williams show has done numbers, but the Ricky Williams show has not done capital numbers. You know what I'm saying? Like capital N numbers. Um, so what I'm going to need y'all to do is uh, listen to it over again. Just put it outside and play it for the birds and tell five friends to set their phones outside and play it because that interview deserved better, you know? Um, and I'm just peeling back the curtain. I'll tell you when, uh, when, when things are good. And I'll tell you when, golly, I wake up and I'm like, damn, we just did 90 minutes with a guy uh, who told you he, he retired because Lenny Kravitz's manager called him. He just upped and retired. You'd never heard that before. You'd never heard some of these stories before, and we didn't get great numbers. So go ahead and play it for the birds. Tell five friends to put your phone outside, and let's boost the fuck out of that interview. I don't. So PMT, PMT, they say subscribe, resubscribe. We say play it for the birds. All right, let's go good, bad, and ugly. Good, first and foremost. 
I hit the karaoke circuit for the first time in a couple of years the other night. Unfortunately, it had been a long layoff, but I, uh, I didn't acquire too much rust. I was pretty good. I sat and I, I, I observed for the first hour. I went with my lovely wife, Meg. We go to this bar here in Montana. And every time I go there, I get accidentally drunk, which is the best kind of bar. You show up for one or two and you accidentally have eight beers. And so I'm watching people sing karaoke, you know, that kind of thing where you're like, do I get in the mix? Do I not get in the mix? I don't know anybody there. There's this guy named Mark and he has stones because he's singing Chris Isaac, Wicked Game. Who sings Chris Isaac at karaoke? Only somebody with testicles the size of Stan's dad's testicles in the wheelbarrow. The guy had sunglasses and a white bandana on, and it was 10 p.m., okay? His ex-wife was 15 feet behind him, and his new wife was also <laughs> accompanying him into the, uh, into the bar grill. So kudos to this guy. I, I had to do a duet with him. He was getting ready to leave. I said, you can't leave. Let's do a duet. He says, how about Bon Jovi? So we go wanted dead or alive. And as soon as I'm getting into it, I'm getting theatric and I'm hitting a knee and that sort of thing. Uh, my Invisalign flies out of my, my shirt pocket onto the ground. <laughs> so my big move where you do a split or whatever it is, or you, you bound, you know, towards the karaoke machine and belt out the, the big solo, uh, involve my Invisalign hitting the deck. I mean, and as you can imagine in a well-lit bar, that wasn't fun for me, but I rebounded nicely and, uh, sang until I couldn't sing anymore. How many people were in the place? Uh, I'm going to say 23. Was it a discussion with Meg? Was it like, hey, I'm thinking about going up there or, hey, I'm going to go up there? Or was she saying, hey, go up there? I mean, because she's going to be on her own when you go up there, no? Well, yeah. A lot of times uh, what happens is people at the karaoke bar, when they see somebody new walk in, they urge them to get on the mic. And Meg's not much of a performer there with, uh, you know, she does a great Shakira, though, by the mm. way. Uh she just she wasn't quite ready to do a duet and she encouraged me because she found two female friends that she made at the bar to go up there and give it a whirl you guys are making friends like strangers yeah dude it's it's a it's a whole new world y'all might be your best selves in montana oh we are i might not move back is this like a dirty nelly's type vibe i'm picturing not quite it doesn't have the um the patina of dirty nelly's but it's definitely off the beaten path okay well, good for you. Uh, is that Invisalign, has that returned to your mouth? Yeah, it has. Uh, I took some time to, to, um, to murder any germs. I set it in my Listerine for a solid eight hours. I, set, I just put it in the Listerine. I got a new Listerine. I washed it. But one thing, if you have Invisalign, you don't want to wash it with soap. The first couple of weeks I had Invisalign, I dropped the Invisalign on vacation uh, at the beach and I decided I wanted to clean the Invisalign. I soaked it in dish soap that was lemon flavored dish, dish soap. And of course, it's not a flavoring that they're putting in there. It's a scent, but I got the flavoring because when you wash dish soap off of Invisalign, the bubbles stay in the trays as soon as you add moisture, aka saliva. So when I pop those bad boys in at a nice date, 
I started tasting lemon uh, halfway through my dinner and I didn't order anything that had lemon in it. And so I started to notice that the there were bubbles in my esophagus. So a hot tip for anybody fixing their fucked up teeth like I am, don't use dish soap to wash your Invisalign. Bukayo Saka, one of the youngest players ever to play in the European Championship. He's got a score here to keep England alive. And he doesn't! And Italy are champions of Europe! It's not coming home, Chris. It's coming to Rome. Italia has won Euro 2020, which, if you're not familiar, is a soccer tournament. Uh, the, the beautiful game... Does it have a flaw? Most say yes. How can we play 120 minutes, not have a decision, and then go to PKs, which is tremendous theater, also gut-wrenching. I have found a way to fix soccer. I'm going to lay it on you. Give it to me honest, as I know you will. You stick the PKs, which are so much fun to watch, but in excruciating way, I will agree to decide a winner. Stick the PKs at the beginning of the match. You're going to be sitting in your chair. You're going to be excited to watch five kickers of balls, the goaltender. It's great. This is going to be the deciding factor in the event of a tie ball game after a 90 and an extra 30. So the team who loses the PKs in the beginning... They're going to have to be on the front foot, Chris, as I yeah. like to say. They're mm-hmm. going to have to be on the front foot from Jump Street. The the team who has won the PK, are they going to park the bus? I wouldn't recommend that either. Go out there and just win the ball game. But you do have that to fall back on. Now, now these American ideas about taking away players and making the goal bigger or smaller, none of that's going to work. Stick the PKs at the beginning. You get a you get a more uh, you get a more aggressive ball game out there on the pitch. I love your idea. I think it's very, it's very compelling. I I do think from a strategy standpoint, it's very compelling, Uh, but then you do lose the drama. And if you're, and if you're lording over that sport, you want drama and there's no higher drama than penalty kicks in, in my opinion, in sports. So you would lose that, that drama, you know, the, the, the Italian guy the other day who missed the first kick. And at that point, because of the high percentage with which people execute these kicks, you're thinking usually as a novice kind of soccer fan or just a, a fringy fan, it's over. You know, like on the third kick, if you don't make it and the other team's perfect, I'm thinking you just ruined it. And if you're in the Euro Cup finals for a team that hasn't won since 1968, your life's going to change forever. Now, of course, the fortune flipped and uh, the, the at least the wealth was spread on the other side of it for England, who missed three kicks. Unfortunately, I turned to my wife as I'm watching the game my lovely wife. And I'm saying to myself, as soon as that third cat for uh, England missed the kick, I'm thinking to myself, like, what kind of racist shit is going to happen in England? And of course, today I wake up to articles about, you know, England soccer condemning racism uh, as if we still, I mean, it's just incredible. It's it's so predictable, but um, I think it's the best thing in sports as far as like high drama. I feel bad for the people kicking the soccer ball uh, at that net. I feel worse for the goalie because um, your chances of, of saving a, a, a shot, it's like a guess. But the pressure's on the kicker because you know how hard it is to save the ball. So if you compare it to, to kicking a big field goal 
hitting a big free throw. There's nothing like it, in my opinion. There's nothing like it that happens with more regularity. How many times does a free throw decide the game? You know, it just doesn't. Usually when you walk up and you're ready to take that kick, the game's on the line. In a lot of, a lot of situations, the fate of the country when it comes to, you know, the morale for the next four years in the world of sports. Yeah, and I'm just sticking that on the front end. So I'm making sure you're not – see, I was checking in yesterday because I felt yeah. compelled to do so. Um, I, I, I caught PKs. My lovely wife felt very bad for really everyone involved. If the, if the ball went in, she felt bad for the goalie. If it didn't, she felt bad for the kicker. There was just a lot of bad emotions. I think we stick that at the beginning. Then we have a better uh, uh, 90 to watch. I don't know if it's a good idea. It probably isn't. I'm just proud of it. But, because um, I haven't read it anywhere else. It came from... No, I think, I think it's a tremendous idea. And I think uh, if you want to add a twist to the PKs as the way they are, maybe everybody has to chug, um, you know, a mutually agreed upon amount of alcohol before taking the kick. That would be fun. You don't like that. That No, that's fine. That or we just go forever. No PKs, just go. I, oh, you're tired? I'm sorry. You're, you're playing soccer. You... There are three substitutions. You have to keep going. Battle of wills. We'll be here all night. Apocalypto rules. Apocalypto rules. Um, okay, I like that. Not that I, I you know, it's I, I'm not against it, but as you can tell, I think PKs are kind of dope. You know, it's like that. That's what sports about. Like people's lives change. People's lives change forever. It's the ultimate reality TV show, dude. And that's penalty kicks are the the you know the uh the perfect example of that and with my new rule i'm giving them to you every single soccer game yeah but that it's there's something called inflation here dude when you get pks it's like yeah it's a big bonus all right i got one for you look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane it's superman dad of joe ross of course baseball player for the nationals we know that saves a choking fan at a nats game guy comes in town to watch his kid ends up making sports center. So I don't know if we're giving the cape to Joe Ross for, for playing in the bigs, because if he doesn't play in the bigs, maybe the woman that was saved does not get saved. Or if we're just giving the, the capes to uh, Joe Ross's dad, Willie Ross, Willie, Willie Ross, also the dad of Tyson Ross who pitches for the Texas Rangers. But yes, Willie was in town to watch Joe who pitches for the Nats. Um, I, I don't think there's any feeling I think it's akin to drowning, that of choking. I think we've all had hopefully minor scrapes with the two, but there's just, I, I, uh, I haven't had one in a while, thankfully, but as a kid, choking, no worse feeling. I'm, I'm, going, I'm gonna go high on the cape scale here just because I, uh, I've been there. I've been there and, the, and nobody else was alarmed, according to pediatrician Willie Ross. Tennessee Williams choked. Do you know what Tennessee Williams wrote? Now, right now, no Google. Streetcar named Desire. Thank you. Never heard of her. That's great. Um, that's great. Yeah, that's good podcasting. I'm going to give this guy two and a half capes. Why so low? He was a Stanford Hospital pediatrician, which is insane that this guy's a fucking doctor and he made two big league pitchers. Like, what's going on uh, with your training regimen? Uh, saved a retired nurse so she was able to stay for the game and in the circle of like uh of 
medical people, we were able to save a life. I mean, we got a Stanford hospital pediatrician saving a retired nurse at a nationals ballpark there. And, and the young lady was able to stay for the rest of the game. I'm going three Doing capes. Three capes is not higher because it was uh, the light, the, the, the bright lights were on. It was a big show me moment, you know, uh, he, he knew he was going to get publicity for this. It was a big, uh, big me moment for Willie, Willie Ross, if we're being honest. You um, think Willie Ross in, 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 uh, he's walking right on by. If you she think Willie know. Ross taking a walk, um, in Palo Alto, seeing a dude choking on the side of the road, he's going to pass him up. Cause he, cause, cause, uh, there's not 30,000 in the ballpark. That's right. That's incredible. No cameras Dude, rolling. I, and you're giving him more capes than me. Yeah. Makes no sense. No, no, no. Choking. Out his, his aptitude. Ah, choking. You know how small our, uh, what do you call these? Our, uh, it's not a windpipe if we're, is that an esophagus? Yeah, not it's a big an anatomy guy. It's very yeah, it's small though. Yeah, it's, it's pretty terrifying. I'm going to be eating the rest of the day thinking about it. I'm going to be chewing my food like I'm a meat grinder. Just, just liquefying um i had steak and eggs this morning come to think of it that was sketchy damn you ever have steak and eggs no i don't have steak and eggs i'm not a multi-millionaire jesus i've what dude steak and eggs is a fucking diner dish are you kidding me i have oatmeal every morning you don't have to be rich to have steak and eggs dude i bought this shit at safeway dude oh well in that case not a poor person (laughs) oh here we go Hey, I'll wrap up good um, with uh, uh, the removal of some Confederate statues here in our hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia. Jim Crow era, uh, folks decided it was a good idea to erect a bunch of Confederate statues valorizing the South to try to intimidate black people. Just some crazy, crazy shit. Like, I, I feel like we're, we're in modern times... We're so far advanced and we've made so much progress. And really, a couple hundred years from now, they're going to read about us in the history books being like, what the, what took these people so long? How backwards were they? But we do need to celebrate our W's. And here in Seaville, um, Robert E. Lee and his horse Traveler took a hike on Saturday, as did Stonewall Jackson, George Rogers Clark, Lewis and Clark, and Sacagawea. Um, Sacagawea, who was crowding, crowding underneath. Oh, I need Lewis your help. I've already made this trek 15 times, like, you know, but I need your help. Let me crowd behind you, too. And listen, I'm not saying that Lewis and Clark were bad guys. I don't know anything about them, but the statue doesn't represent um, the situation the way you'd want it represented. And as far as Robert E. Lee, I mean, for all the, the bullshit that statue caused uh, a couple years ago, um, you know, it, it went out with a whimper. I mean, on a trailer uh, through the streets of Charlottesville, they should have backed that fucker out of there backwards. So, you know, to truly um, commemorate his last retreat, um, they should have turned that fucker around, faced him behind the trailer and just pulled it out of Charlottesville. That was my only gripe uh, other than that it should have been removed a long time ago. But remember, um, I want you to remember this. If you're, if, if you're having a hard time remembering it, there was a civil war. Uh, I know you, some of you guys say you need statues to remember history. Uh, let me take time to remind you that there was a civil war and it was fought 
uh, you know, almost entirely over slavery. And there was an incredible amount of racism. And our country was funded uh, with slave labor. So just in case, since you guys are so worried about history and statues, let me just remind you guys of those facts uh, since they pulled four of those motherfuckers out of Charlottesville the other day. And if you're pissed off about Confederate statues getting removed, find another fucking podcast. The school I attended before the uh, school I attended where I met you, Chris, we were divided up as uh, Lees and Jacksons. Incredible. It's incredible how normalized a lot of that shit goes. And when it goes away, people are like, slippery slope. What's happening if you take down giant statues in public places of people that fought to enslave people in bondage? What's next? What's going to happen next? Are we going to just forget? our Oh, 1984, George Orwell. You ever seen that movie? Now that's a participation trophy that that Robert E. Lee statue. That's Fuck that's it, a good dude. participation. You lose, you move on, dude. Move on, move on. Is there a statue of? Uh, is is there is there a, is there a Nazi Germany statue sitting in 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 uh, in Charlottesville somewhere? Well, here's what's got to happen. You how, know? how could I forget World War II? That we're just we're just teaching people history. You know who should replace Lee and Jackson on these pedestals out here in downtown Seville? You and me absolutely nobody ever no more people stop it with the people statues i agree i agree but it would be tight if we had like a little figurine of you and me we could sneak into that park uh no yeah no more people statues they're tacky people statues are kind of tacky like you'll know when you got to put up a people statue you'll know i i don't even know if you you don't need to replace a people statue with another people statue just to be like just to have a statue there like just just let's plant a tree Plant a fucking tree, dude. Okay? That is good. That is good. What's good bad? Reason. What's bad? Uh, oh, man. My mom cracking out the hummingbirds up here. I went over to their house the other day. Um, and on the back porch, it's just buzzing with hummingbirds. It looks like, uh, you know, uh, what, what did I call the Atlanta, the Atlanta airport? <laughs> Jackson, Hartfield, uh, Atlanta airport. It looks like. I'm air traffic control and these fuckers are just whizzing by my head. And I'm like, mom, what gives? Like you never had so many hummingbirds here. You know, she, she, she likes gardening. I figured they like the flowers. Oh, I got a new feeder. I'm like, yeah, say what's in that feeder. I was just like, well, I put a little sugar in there. Oh, I put one part sugar, one part water in there. So she's, she's cracking out the hummingbirds in the neighborhood here. And so much so that my dad calls her the Pablo Escobar of, uh, of, of the lake. So that's bad. Don't put sugar. I don't know if that's a bad thing. I don't know where you stand on, on, uh, on PEDs for hummingbird um, attraction, but I, you know, I'm not, I'm not really, I feel like that's not good. Well, I happen to know yeah. a little bit about birds, and I believe you do put sugar water into hummingbird feeders. Are you? Do you have an issue with the ratio or just sugar at all? It should be sugar yeah. water to get the hummingbird. Oh, okay, it must be. So I'm new to the hummingbird uh, game, and I, I just didn't know that people were 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 giving hummingbirds diabetes. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I think that's common practice. My worry is that the sugar attracts other things that I don't want so much. So I've, I've stayed away from the hummingbird feeders. I'm on to the, uh, to the sizzle and spice. Is that what it's called? I got some, I got some blue jays. You know, I'm fond of blue jays. 
I got all kinds of blue birds, a lot of lot of blue birds around my domicile. But I've uh, I've strayed from the hummingbirds because of the the crack cocaine sugar water that they require apparently. Yeah, dude, it's just it's it's uh, when you think about it, it's it's uh, is the juice worth the squeeze? Do I need to see a hummingbird that badly that that hummingbird's going to end up uh, with serious health problems? And it's uh, in the fours and the fives of the, that hummingbird's lifespan. Hey, let me sneak uh, in a, a, a quick bad before you go to the main event sports bad. Uh, Novak Djokovic won Wimbledon. Nobody likes Novak Djokovic, and that's uh, that's Novak's fault. It's nobody else's fault. He now has 20 Really? I don't know anything about – tell me. What has he done? Everybody seems to hate the guy. What has he done? I don't know anything about tennis, he's but just not, on he sucks. He's, he's not very nice. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. He's got no personality. He's a machine. He's mean to people. He got bounced from the U.S. Open last year because he smacked a ball at a at an elderly woman lines person. I mean, what else do you need? Now, on the flip side, you got uh, the, a classic gentleman in Roger Federer, the goat. You got uh, a, a grinder, a counter puncher, a terrific athlete in Rafa Nadal. Novak, he's uh, he's good at tennis, but I, um, he's hard to root for, very difficult to root for, and I won't. Well, I, I know nothing about the the fellow, other than the fact that other than the fact that yesterday I went to tweet about the Les Miles discovery, the latest Les Miles development, uh, which of course includes paying off a kid to to go away after he was uh, his apartment was ransacked at evidently I don't know gunpoint, but dudes were packing, dudes were flipping birds downstairs, um, Kansas football players. Uh, victim was upstairs. Uh, perpetrators were downstairs. Victim kind of tells on his teammates to Les Miles or uh, to whoever the powers that be are in Lawrence, uh, which is not probably advisable. I mean, I think that pr- fairly, maybe mine in your business might have been the move, but in the event that you do go uh, and and report these guys, and then your head coach says, hey, here's 50 grand, fuck off and don't tell anybody these guys kicked down your door and ransacked your shit because they were mad that you snitched on them. Uh, That's what's going on with Les Miles. And it's not the first piece of news we've had this summer. Anyways, I go, and this is is an ugly, so we're out of place here. I go to tweet, ah, man, I can't believe this guy fooled us with his whole uh, charming grass-eating routine down there in Baton Rouge. Remember he used to eat grass? Yes. Used to pack it up on the road and take it with him. Some nice Baton Rouge fescue. Uh, well, little did I know trying to, to make a clever tweet that a bunch of people probably thought I was talking about this guy, the Joker, who evidently eats Bermuda grass by the handful. Yeah, but like not, I, well, I guess with the news about less, just, just bad people eat grass. Maybe. <laughs> I know you're trying to spin this into a joke that you can make about me, but I don't eat grass. I'm trying to transition into smoking grass. Yeah, you're right, but I can't quite get there. My bad. P.J. Tucker uh, and the NBA Finals. Man, I feel bad for him. He literally turned into a ramp that rolls up to the plains. (laughs) I mean, that's the way it looked. I mean, like this dude for the Suns, what's his name again? Uh, The dude who, who yammed on him? Yeah, is it Cam... Yeah, the the guy from Carolina, Cameron Johnson. Cameron, Cameron Johnson. Cameron Johnson turned him into a um, 
you know, the, the ramp that they, uh, that they roll up to the planes. I mean, he just ran up PJ Tucker's chest and PJ Tucker's face on the ground said everything. It was like, yes, it is a charge, but you know, the rules, man, like <laughs> they're not going to take that thing away from in the NBA finals. It was just too otherworldly. Um, and he's looking at the ref, like it's almost unfair. Yes, it was unfair. Uh, but dude, you got to take your medicine on this one. And PJ Tucker is probably the happiest in the world that only 8 million people or so are watching the finals night in night out right now, which is interesting on its head. I mean, we've complained about the NBA finals being a little bit, I don't know, not so juicy this year. I thought I'd be better with it. I think more than anything, if I wasn't on vacation, I'd be watching, but a lot of people are feeling that way, I think, because of COVID and because of the way the finals got pushed into the back end here. And, you know, you end up with game one on the heels of July 4th weekend. Nobody's watching. So I do think there is a market thing. I think there's a star power thing. Although if you look at these two teams on their head, you got one of the best point guards of all time who's chasing his first ring. He's not chasing it. I don't want to say that. Who's got a chance to win his first ring. You've got Devin Booker, who's superstar good, but is he superstar marketable? Um, you've got fun players in Phoenix. Uh, you've got a great coach in Monty Williams, who seems like every time they put the camera on him in a timeout, it makes every other NBA coach look shitty. Uh, like I've never heard anybody who just jumped out at, at a former athlete from another sport um, that you just were like, yeah, this guy gets it. And I don't know if he gets it, but it just sounds like he gets it. And on the other side, you've got Giannis and, you know, him gutting it out after that knee injury. Uh, one of the best players in, in the game who's won MVP awards, but it just hasn't had that same pop. And that's a good thing for PJ Tucker, but not so good for us. It just doesn't feel the same. And I asked people the other day, you know, what finals does this remind you of? Some folks said Houston, New York in, uh, in, in the nineties there. I, I think there is something to that because of the, the Michael Jordan hiatus. Uh, no one's taking an intentional hiatus right now. Uh, but as we know, a lot of our best and brightest stars who are the most marketable in the biggest markets are out. So this is kind of what we have. Add to it the thing that you've been griping about, the new look, the bunch of uniforms, the sponsors. It's just fucking weird. It's a weird year. We're coming off COVID. And this was probably the worst finals uh, to get people back on their feet for the NBA. Now, I know NBA Twitter is going to scream about this. Here's the way it goes. Anybody criticizing the NBA online is probably, you know, a conservative MAGA guy or, you know, anti-NBA. Oh, I'm none of the above. And I was wrong. I was excited. I clamored for some, um, you know, what do they call that? Parody with a D, with Ooh, a T, with a T, parody with a T. Parody with a T. I was clamoring for parody with a T. Well, now I have it and I'm like, ah, I'm outside. I'm sitting outside. I'm not watching these games like that. So I suffice to say, I think you were right. I'm not crazy about the finals right now. I'm putting it in bad, not ugly. It'll be good when CP3 wins his ring. Wake me up then. Um, and I think the hard thing is there's no buildup for these finals also. Like you look at the Super Bowl, you look at even All-Star Weekend, like there's a big buzz ahead of it. Like Super Bowl, you take a couple weeks, you pause. Um, baseball they do some things to make game one a big deal basketball is just like oh shit the other game ended now let's start the next one and i i think that's tough um and i think it's tough for viewers and i think another thing with the nfl is you go back and look through super bowls that weren't so poppy 
Bucks Raiders. That's one that, you know, probably from a marketability standpoint, from a star power standpoint, it was Rich Gannon against Brad Johnson. Okay. Exciting game. A lot of, a lot of firepower, but not competitive and not, you know, not something that draws you in when it comes to Baltimore and New York defense ruled and you had a big market in New York. Uh, but who was playing quarterback on both sides? Uh, Colt saints. Okay. Terry Collins. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, um, Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer. So Colt Saints, um, there, there's a small market deal, but that was a poppy Super Bowl because you had the quarterbacks, Rams, Titans, same thing, Nashville, St. Louis. Okay. So what you learn in, in football, not to go on too much of a rant here, comparing the NBA and the NFL and like what makes a finals matchup or a Super Bowl matchup marketable, the NFL has quarterbacks to fall back on. If you get to the Super Bowl, the big game, you have a top five marketable guy. Chances are you have the the you have the position that sells tickets because it is so quarterback centric unless defense rules the day in a Baltimore, New York type situation. That's why a Colt Saints bad market uh, Super Bowl leapfrogs a Baltimore, New York, you know, um, so I think the NFL has a much better handle on making this thing something that we're all glued to its appointment viewing. And on top of that, uh, they're just better with tradition. And that's, that's something that you've talked about and it's the one game thing. So I'm not blindly in a vacuum comparing a finals rating to a Super Bowl rating. We all know it's higher, but with the NBA, when you don't have the markets, it is tough. And I know some people are going to scream at me because it was a big thing a week ago where people were like, writing in lowercase than uppercase letters you know where they mock people online but there are no superstars but what about the markets well i'm just saying from a rating standpoint i'm not necessarily into the ratings but i'm one of the people who has tuned out for most of this finals uh and i think the timing has something to do with it and i think the markets do have something to do with it. it's undeniable timing totally because with covid we have the confluence of all these big sporting events stanley cup finals wimbledon euro nba finals so the nba needs something some 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 hook and i just don't know if will chris paul get a ring does it for for the majority of folks it 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 doesn't for me the thing that could salvage the series of course is a game seven yes Two best and words it, in it, sports. And, it may, and our, our last night, uh, the Bucks cruise 120-100, and Giannis goes off, um, and P.J. Tucker turns into a, an on-ramp uh, for a, uh, a jet plane. I mean, like an escalator, whatever you want to call him. Um, our guy from UNC was just stepping on his chest. It was one of the best dunks we've ever seen in, in the NBA Finals. I mean, find me really a more spectacular one. Um, I know somebody's going to give me the, uh, uh, an example from the eighties or nineties. And I would caution you because I think that your memory is enhanced with nostalgia and that vintage, uh, kind of deal that makes memory stick longer. This is a poo poo finals in a lot of ways. Uh, but maybe it turns out to be really competitive. People won't remember this dunk as well as some of the, the ones we see in the nineties in slow motion uh, between two big market teams in the NBA's glory days. But this is the best dunk that's ever happened in the NBA finals. I don't care if it was a charge, people won't remember it the same. And that's good for PJ Tucker. I got one ugly here for you. Underwear shopping for, for my lovely wife. We get on vacation. We don't have, you know, she have right. Exactly. So she's like, Hey, when you go to Walmart today, 
I'm scanning the list and it's like, hey, look at printers, look at, you know. Um, Did you say printers? Yeah, I got to get a printer here. So I'm looking at printers. I'm looking at, hey, Waylon needs some PJs. We need some vitamin water. Uh, and then next thing you know, it's underwear. And I'm like, underwear for whom? Is that underwear for me? So, you know, I didn't pack enough. I forgot. So I'm in the women's underwear section. I am rooting through just, and if you've ever been in a Walmart bin, it's the most poorly organized thing in the world. So I'm, I might be in the kids underwear section. I might be in the women's section and I feel absolutely just sorted being in that area because everybody that walks by looks at you. Like you're the guy who's about to just grab a pair and just like wear it on their face. Like I'm Buffalo bill. You know what I mean? Like fucking, if your wife sends you to get underwear, just say, no, thanks. Just say like, I'll watch the kids, you know? You think of it as like, oh, I'm going to the store. I get a break from the kids. I'm going to run an errand. It's good for my ADD to be active. But really, you should just stay home, guys, okay? Because not only will people stare at you in the section, but then when you go to the register, the guy at the register will say, are those comfortable with a smirk on his face? (laughs) That didn't actually happen. Oh, it happened. Oh, the gentleman at the register asked me if the underwear were comfortable. Was he being hilarious or he was just a creep? I think he was being funny, but I kind of wondered if he realizes that people sometimes have to shop for their wives. Here's the kicker. I got home, wrong underwear. Well, yeah, I, I had I had pre-purchase questions. I mean, were you given sizing? Yeah, it was an awkward conversation to have in my parents' kitchen. So, you know, when when I get my little list, my notepad, and it says underwear, that's what I go off of. Women's underwear, are, do they have like the, are there numbers? Or are there small, medium, large? Man, listen, small, medium, large. And that's, that's all I'm going to say. And then there's some other sizes that, you know, I wasn't in the market for. So uh, I'll just say this. Make sure you know what kind of underwear she's looking for because there is no service in Walmart ever. Uh, you're not going to walk outside to the parking lot to call and say, hey, you know, what kind of underwear did you want? Two, you know, ask for a lady's help. You know, ask for somebody's help. Like, hi, I'm shopping for my wife. I'm not a serial killer. I'm married. Here are my two children. You want to see a picture of my wife? She's lovely. I'm a great dad. Anyways, I'm looking for underwear for my wife. And then let that woman lead you over to the underwear section. Oh shucks. But dude, how did you screw it up? I mean, why wouldn't your lovely wife give you a, a blueprint that like you could not deviate from like color, texture, size? You can't be there there perusing. Well, I got one word for you right now across America. It's called inventory. Mm. And we have an inventory problem in America right now. And we also have a problem of making a grocery list, a Walmart list in my parents' kitchen. So that conversation is not going to happen at length verbally in my parents' kitchen. Uh, I was able to refer to the notes and that's about it. So Evidently, what, she, what, sorry, what did you get wrong? The type of underwear. What do you mean type? I don't understand. I don't want to go into that much. Are we deep. talking like the like the thong or like the granny situation? I got two, I got two granny, dude. Okay, two granny. Got you. I got two. I got two granny, and uh, you know I failed. But kids just got back from Walmart with the wife, and I'm pretty sure she procured the right uh, the right undergarments. So, um, what color yeah. did you buy? Just out of curiosity, I bought a, I bought a the, like I said inventory. There weren't a lot of. <laughs> Okay. So that was my ugly. Another ugly could be McGregor snapping his leg, but I know you didn't see that. 
I, I, I've got no use for, for people beating up people, except for my guy, Iron Michael Chandler, of course. I, uh, I heard it was gruesome, and I didn't seek it out. The people who seek out disgusting injuries, you've got to screw, screw loose. You've got a, a synapse not firing properly. I don't understand it. I mean, I mean, jackass, which you referenced, is, is one thing, but things not being attached to other things inside your skin is something entirely different. Well, um, as you know, I used to play professional sports for years. I would, I would make it a point to avoid these things. I've never sought them out, but now if something crosses my desk, I can actually watch it. I'm not like somebody who's queasy. Um, I just thought it was bad karma as a player to watch somebody else's injury. It was like almost like tempting fate, which is of course stupid because there's no such thing. And we're just a bunch of, we're just a bunch of, we might not even be here, bro. Yeah, I know. This could be a a fever dream. This could be a simulation. Um, Anyways, I did feel like I was looking at a simulation when I saw Tristan Wirfs lifting a giant fucking tree over his head a few months back. Uh, Let's get the the big guy on. Um, And we have some voicemails on the tail end. You know, you guys called in with some of your worst celebrity meetings. So stick around for that. I tell you the biggest thing I've ever carried. This podcast. This podcast. I know. I I almost cut you off, but I want to let you get your joke in. That's great. Um, all right, let's go Tristan Wirfs. We finally got Tristan Wirfs on the pod. We had a little Tristan Wirfs fan club on the pod. We've been talking this kid up since he was running around doing crazy shit at the combine, running faster than I could ever run, lifting trees in the air. Tristan, man, what, what a long year. Has this just been the longest year of your life? Like hands down. Yeah, it's been I mean, it's been weird for sure, like weird and crazy and everything. But uh, I mean, like the season went by pretty fast. But like leading up to the season, like that whole summer was crazy, and then this off season has been real long too. So yeah, it's been kind of a whirlwind. That's what I was thinking because not only like you know they say rookies aren't ready for the length of an NFL season. I feel like Iowa kids are a little bit different maybe because you guys kind of run like a pro style program. But you know, going from college to pros is hard enough. Then on top of that, the COVID, what was the hardest part about the COVID thing? Was it actually hard to learn like a new system and that sort of thing? Because I was thinking about myself as a rookie and I was like, I don't even know how I would do this stuff over Zoom. Yeah, that was really, that was really weird. Uh, I kind of liked it though, because I felt like I was more comfortable like asking questions like over, like over Zoom than in person. Um, Like you could just right after the meeting got over, like I would just, like you could just shoot a text, be like, hey, like I didn't really pick this up. You know, can we, can we go over it again or, or hit it tomorrow? But um, I feel like, especially I think coming from Iowa too, I think that helped me because learning all, I remember going through the playbook and everything when we were doing our meetings. I'm like, I'm like, this seems really familiar. Like it's, it's the same stuff we're running, but just has a different name. So that was really nice for me to be able to, you know, relate that back to stuff I've, you know, I did for three years. Are the protections crazy in Tampa or what, you know, was it like you said, it was just terminology. I don't think we have very many crazy protections. I remember doing the meetings, like they, we installed a bunch, but then like, as the season got going, like Tom only wanted to run like a couple of them. So that was, that was nice. (laughs) Yeah. You were probably, you were probably pretty happy about that. I was like, I was thinking to myself, like, you probably go from soaking it up for about 30 seconds when you get drafted, or I should rather ask it this way. How long did it take till you went from celebration to, Oh shit. I'm working for Tom Brady. Now. <laughs> I'm gonna be it, was, like, it was the phone call. It was the phone call. BA BA called me. And the first thing he said was, he's like, he's like, Hey baby. He's like, 
you ready to protect Tom Brady? And I was like, son of, I was like, not right now. I was like, I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> that was the first thing he said. So, you know, it, it, it was all, it was, it was awesome getting to play with Tom um, last year. You know, he, he's so much of a leader and everything. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty quick where that set in. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. Like I can remember, you know, getting drafted way back in the day and you just didn't say it's, it's a buzz, but you know, I walked through the hallway and walked by two of the, the, the oldest vets on my team that were in radio city. Cause back then we did the draft from radio city and my smile turned to like a flat mouth, like not a frown, but like a, as soon as I walked by these guys, 34 years old, and they're like, get ready to work. And you know, that whole, that whole celebration goes to, okay, like I'm punching the clock now, like it's time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder, I wonder, you know, cause I asked, I asked Stinny about this cause Stinny's from my hometown. So we were chopping it up about Brady and I was saying, what's it feel like to get yelled at by Tom Brady? So that was like my one goal <laughs> this, that their last year was not to get yelled at by Tom. I think I accomplished it. Like, I don't really remember getting yelled at by him. I remember I jumped off sides in practice one day and I thought it was, I thought that was it. Like I thought something was coming, but no, he just said, he just said like, you know, just focus up and, but I don't think I, he, he really yelled at me. So that was, that was like my goal. Either that or you blacked out when he yelled at you. Cause it was just, that could, bad. that could, yeah, that could be very possible as well. That I just don't have zero recollection of it. How much does it help to have, you know, the vets that you had in your locker room, because obviously when you go to a good team, they're going to be more vets and that sort of thing. Uh, especially O-line, who are the guys you leaned on? You know, I think I, I think I leaned on the whole line really. Like they all, you know, they all took me in, you know, and 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 just helped me get ready, get ready to play. I mean, Donovan Smith, you know, he he helped me quite a bit. Just, you know, I'd come off the field, or you know, we'd we'd come off uh, off the field after a set, and you know, he'd ask me, you know, what I was seeing, everything. And same with Josh Wells, uh, he's kind of like the, our swing tackle. He he would go back and forth, but he would do the same thing, um, like every day. That you know, just ask me like throughout practice, you know, what are you seeing? How's it going? And then uh, Alex Kappa, you know, my, uh, my right guard, he helped me quite a bit. You know, we were, we, we had so much communication, like at the line of scrimmage, just cause he wanted to make sure I, I had everything down and, and knew what was going on. So I, I leaned on those guys quite a bit. Talk about like a veteran swing tackle. That's probably really helpful. Cause as a rookie, I mean, I don't know where your head was at when you got drafted, but I know that like coming out, you were so talented that it can almost work against you. Like, okay, I expect this guy to be able to play anywhere. Where was your head at as far as like, where, where am I projected to play? And is there a difference between right and left tackle to you? Because I believe left and right end, they're totally different for a rusher. Yeah. So, I mean, I was ready to play, you know, wherever they, wherever they wanted me really. Um, Cause like my last year at Iowa, I was going back and forth. You know, our left tackle got hurt the first game. And I remember after that, I was, they'd, they'd switch me back and forth in the middle of a drive. Like we had plays where they would want, like I would, I would like pull or something, like pull pull around the edge. And so then I would go to the left side if we were running it left, just all sorts of stuff. So like middle of games, I'd flip back and forth between right and left, like probably 10 times. Ooh, that is bad for us. We don't like that. I, I wasn't a fan of it. I wasn't, I mean, I got through it, but that I remember when I first started doing it, it was it was really frustrating because you got to you got to get comfortable over there. Like I was playing right, I hadn't played left since my freshman year. Like I was very comfortable on the right side, like just your footwork. And then as soon as you go over there, it's like the only thing that's different is what hand you have down. Mm. The technique's the same, but that level of comfortability is insane. I felt like you know a newborn calf, like I couldn't walk, like I was stumbling. <laughs> That's how, that's just how it feels, you know? And I think I said to the media one time, 
I was like, it feels like wiping your ass with your other hand, you know, <laughs> so, so awkward. And, but when it comes down to it, there's not too much of a difference. Just, I mean, you're throwing your right hand versus throwing your left hand, but it's weird. I think it's weird at first. Right end, when I play right end, it would feel like, you know, for us, I guess probably it's a little harder for rushers because, you know, like if I have a stab hand, obviously one of like I'm left-handed or right-handed, you know what I mean? Right. Like, so, you know, with a very, like, you're kind of, you're kind of waiting, you're changing up your set, you're, you're trying to time it and your set, like you said, like footwork is all the same. It's an agility drill. But for us, I feel like it's like kind of, you know, left hand, right hand, and it can feel backwards, but I can't even imagine switching back and forth during a game. Also from our standpoint, like how would you minimize the tells? Like, yeah. so like, I feel like if I know like, Oh, they put Tristan Wirfs on the other side of well, that big motherfucker's coming to pull and, and knock me out of the club. You talk about that stab hand too. So like I, I'm, I'm right-handed and like, I, I throw my, I throw my right hand. Like that's, that's, that's just what I got to do. And when I was at Iowa, we were like, we were big on like two hand punches and everything. So that, that helped. But I could like, now I didn't really have to get used to, to throwing my left hand. Like if I, if I were to ever go over, over on the left side, like I would, that'd be something I'd have to rep quite a bit is, is just getting used to, to throw, to throwing it. Um, but the tells, yeah, the tells too, that was, I feel like at the same time, it was very, you know, something was coming like that direction, that direction. If I went over to the left, but at the same time, they still had to, they still had to stop it. And usually they were like big, like big sweeps or something. So mm -hmm. you talk about getting in a rhythm. I mean, like from our standpoint, it's all about getting in a rhythm, but you're probably varying things. And the way like O-linemen are coached now is just so much more advanced than when even I got in the league and, I wonder how much like during the game it is a chess match for you, even as a young player. Cause you might say if I was an O-line coach, I might, I might think, oh, well, I want to keep it simple for Tristan Works. He's a rookie. Like, not that you're not highly intelligent, but you're a rookie. And then the other line of thinking is we're trying to win a Super Bowl. I need to maximize what's in his toolbox. Like, how do you walk that line? Yeah, that's that's tough. I I know um our left tackle, like he does a couple different sets and everything. And I remember like in camp, they're like, he, like he'd practice it and something and my online coach he's like no he's like you're not you're not doing that he's like you're not doing that he's like not yet um because at iowa i was sitting on a 45 just consistently 45 yeah. get my hands on guys and i come into camp i start doing that to shaq barrett and like i blink and he's behind me or he's inside i'm like yeah i don't know about all that and <laughs> my coach he's like he's like you gotta he's like, you gotta sit back dude he's like you gotta get off the ball I think at the end of the season too, I was still kind of weary about like jump sets and everything and, and just creating that, creating that big gap inside, inside. Yeah. yeah. Like why do it though? If it's working for you, you know, like I, I know there's, you got to have variance year to year game, right. game, you know, drive to drive even, but like, you know, when I saw you come out of the gate and for, you know, I'm glad you said that, like, I'm trying to get off the ball and set back a little bit. I was like, Oh, this kid's a deep setter. Like, you know, and, and, Deep set, if you want a deep set, like just be big and strong enough that dudes can't run you over or take your inside shoulder. And I feel like you did a pretty good job of that. That's kind of, that's, I mean, that's what my coach was telling me. He's like, he's like, make guys run through you and make guys give you a bull rush. Cause you played Cam Jordan right out of the gate. Cause I was watching because Cam's my guy. I love watching Cam and I knew that was going to be a great matchup. Uh, and certainly, you know, like your game planning for a guy like that, your very first game, but you did a nice job and, you know, you definitely held your own, which is, I think something that people throw around too much, you know, guys can get beat left and right, but if they don't give up a sack, they say that guy held his own, like you truly held your own. 
And I wonder how you felt walking off the field after a day like that. I was pretty nervous for that game. Just, I mean, it being my first game and then going against Cam Jordan, I was just like, and I remember my online coach, he said something like two, three days before the game. He said, he like showed a clip of, oh, I, I can't remember who it was, but the quarterback like getting smoked from the right side and he got hurt. And he showed me that clip. He's like, he's like, don't let this happen. I was like, I was like, I don't want that to happen. I was like, I'll try, I'll try my best. But just that was like, that was in my head. Like, I was just thinking about that. I was like, okay. I was like, I was like, I, I was trying to like lean on my athleticism. I was like, you just gotta stay in front of him. I was like, just do, just do your best to to stay in front of him, and like, don't get beat quick. I was like, but just I remember, I remember the first play. Like, I was so like, uh, like giddy. I was so anxious. I like jumped the snap count and everything, and. Um, and then once I started, like, started, the game started going on and everything, I was just, I was like, it's just, you know, it's just football. This is what, it's what, what I've been doing my whole life and everything. So I kind of settled down. And, um, but after that game, I was, I don't know. I remember, I remember I was sore. I was really sore because Cam was, a, he's a big edge rusher. Like, he's just <laughs> giving me bull after bull. I was like, I was like, wow. You may see him many, uh, cam jordans in college and i'm not saying from a skill set level i mean like but considering you were just you've been this massive like if i'm a college player that's probably not how i want to attack you and then like cam he's going forehead he's, to forehead yeah, he said whatever he's, he's, like, he's two little thumbs right in your chest as much as he can and then if he can get that like separation then he's gonna bull jerk you and you did a really good job of not like falling forward and i think that's a really tough thing because guys are really crafty with the push pull Oh yeah, like they'll they'll give you bull, 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 and get you get you kind of leaning forward, ready for it, and then they'll you know they'll 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 shuck you or do something you know just but you, you you're just expecting bull and I don't know that, that's what I loved about this year. I just saw so many different edge rushers, like guys with like so many moves that I hadn't seen. You know, I mean, like in camp, Shaq was giving me everything under the sun, like stuff I'd never seen before. Oh, so his toolbox is so deep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So just like, I really like that. But, yeah. Like bull, bull, bull. And then he, then he do something. And so I, I, I was nervous about like getting too top heavy because I was thinking bull was coming and like the two, like Donnie and, and Josh, like they told me that they're like, he's going to give you bull a bunch and then, he, and then he'll do something off of it. And so they're like, they're like, don't, don't be leaning or anything. And I think he got me on it once. Of course. How I, I recovered, I don't know how I recovered from like, I don't know, but I, it was crazy. It was, it was nuts. I just, yeah, I mean, like, um, that's really smart. And, again, it's a reason to have vets in the room that have played guys with regularity, especially in division. It's like we know exactly what this cat does. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, if I just stuck around a few more years, that would have been dumb and I had to play you. I would never try to run around you. I would have I would have tried to fool you into thinking that maybe I could push you back and try to get you on your toes, leaning over with your head down. Like, because that's the only way you can get a big, solid guy with good feet if you don't have that, like, rare bend the edge ability. The, the Khalil Mack game, okay, I thought the offense – like, it was so funny to me. Like, it's only funny because I kind of know Tom, like, having played with him for a year. I'm imagining, like, that this was his hell on earth. Like, that one drive. You know the drive. There's, like, five penalties. I had B.A. on the pod. And just, like, seeing the, the tone of his face change when we go back to that drive. But there was the sack. And it's the only sack you gave up all year. I'm going to give you my take on it, okay? And this is just me being straight up. I didn't think you did a bad job. And this is coming from a D lineman. I thought that was way blown out of proportion. I think Khalil Mack's an absolute dog. And I'm sure he got you worse than he got you on that play at some point in the game. And it didn't register as a sack. And that's what's wrong 
with people watching the game and ball watching. And then they return to the replay and they say, do you know how deep, and we're not blaming it on Tom. I'm saying it because I'm a rusher. Ball <laughs> snapped on the 31. It's play action. I believe Tom goes down at the 40 before he's climbed the pocket. I didn't think it was that bad. What say you when you look back at it? I just, I don't know. That that whole week, because I think that's a big thing with Cleo Mack, too, is he's, you know who he is and, and you got to know where he's at. And all week, I was like, I think that was probably the most nervous I was like that week, the whole, like the whole season. And uh, like, I was looking at, um, I was on YouTube, like looking at clips, like what other tackles had done with against them, just trying to try to take something and like You're deep in the bag. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, okay, I was like, what can I do? And uh, like, I was like doing the, the flash, the fake hand and everything. And, uh-huh. and I remember, I, I remember that play. Like he, he, he was a little wide and he, he did a big jab step inside. And it was like, when I flashed and I was like, okay, he did, he did bite on it at all. Like he didn't care about it. I've watched the clip so many times and my feet got all messed up. And then I was just trying to like, I was like, okay, he's, he's hip to hip with me. I was like, I'm going to just try and run him or just run him, run him around the hump. And I remember I couldn't, I couldn't see Tom, but I was like, I was like, I, was like, I don't know. If, I don't know if he stepped up. I don't know what happened. And I just kept running my feet. And uh, then he then he hip tossed me, and I remember I remember I popped up, and in my head I was like I was like I hope nobody saw that. Huh. Then, then I remembered I was like then I remembered I was like I was like shit. I was like we're on we're on TV, and then uh, I was like then that was I just went back to the huddle. I was like that's all right. And he doesn't say anything the whole game, does he? No, that's what I tell people. That's he didn't say a word. I think mm-hmm. I think that's a lie. I think maybe he said. I think he said three words the whole game. Like we got like a seven yard run or something, maybe. And he said, that's too much to the, like he said it to the defense. That's the only thing I heard him say all game. And I was just like, I would say like nice rush sometimes to him and not a peep. I was like, like all right. It's like, dog. Hey, he's just like, I'll, I'll shut up. I'll stop talking. <laughs> he's a machine, bro. He's, he's an absolute machine, but I thought overall, and I'm not, you know, like, obviously he's one of the best. And even last year, because the sack numbers weren't as higher, they hadn't been, as high over the last couple of years, but ask old lineman who they're worried about when they're, they're studying. Oh, and yeah. you know, I mean, like, so yeah, the numbers, there might've be guys who who did bigger numbers last year, but nobody strikes fear into offensive lineman's heart like Khalil Mack. Cause he has what so, so few guys have, and that's just sheer power to yeah. go with shiftiness and he can wiggle. You know what I mean? He's just got, yeah, he's, he's so, so strong, but at the same time, he's got all those, you know, he, he's, he's got that, that twitchiness and everything. And, so it's like he, he could be flying off the edge. And you're like, oh, speed, you know, a speed rush coming. Then he plants his outside foot and stabs you in the chest. It was funny because dudes were like online, like people who listen to the pod were like, oh, Tristan Wirfs, huh, Chris? Like, and I was like, bro, if you just knew like this is not is one play, first off, and two, it wasn't that bad. It just ended in a hip toss because you were trying to be extra and finish, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're right. And you're like, oh, I got to look good on tape and shit. And I got to finish because it's Khalil Mack. Right. Outside of that, though, like, I did not think it was that bad. Who who actually gave you your worst game? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know you're good when you don't have that answer off the top of your head. I'm kind of jealous. I would say – well, I would say the, I would say the Bears game. Uh, I remember Akeem, Akeem Hicks was – he's a big trash talker. And oh, I, don't really, I, don't really, I don't really do that. I don't really trash talk. But he, he said something. And I was like, I was like, I, he said he's ready to go or something. And, and I was like, I was like, I love it. I was like, I'm, I'm right here. But I was meaning like that. I would love like to keep going, like to keep having, you know, good reps with him and everything. And he like, his, like he, his eyes get real big and everything. I was like, 
I was like, I think he took that the wrong way. <laughs> and uh, that's what I always think about is, is the Bears game. Just because I like I, I wasn't doing the stuff that I normally do. I was trying to do all this all this extra stuff, and like I hate going back and watching that game because I just when I did what I normally do when I just when I throw my hand and everything and say square, then I, I did all right against him. But then on the, the plays that he beat me, I was trying to do all that other, that other crap. And, but that's just, you know, that's, that's how it goes. Then the train started rolling again for you guys. And the, the, the turning point was unbelievable. Uh, what was it like to see an NFL team? Like, I, I don't know if there's a sense when you're a rookie, you don't know what to look for as far as like, is this team capable of winning the whole thing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have yeah. no, of reference and of course your your vets will tell you but you're always wondering like they're not going to tell you if they really don't think this team has it or if you're worried about it but you're you're in the middle of the season there was a bad little run there for the team and then things started to turn around I mean and I think one of the biggest black clouds for y'all looking from the outside in was like oh you can't beat your division rival and you're gonna have to see them in the playoffs so when was it that you realized like hey we got a real shot here like you said, that from a rookie's point of view, you don't really, you don't really know. And I just remember like after a loss, we'd come into a team meeting, you know, next day or on Tuesday or whatever. And BA would say, he's like, you know, still got a chance. We lost four in a row or something. Yeah. And like, it, it just kept, he kept saying, we still got a chance. We still got a chance. Cause that was, that's what, you know, that was our goal is, is, is Super Bowl. Like in college, it's like, if you lose a couple and you can't, you can't make the big 10 championship or you can't make, right. you know, I was like, shit, how many chances we got? I I just remember BA. That's what he kept saying. He's like, you know, he's like, you guys know what we got to do. We got to, you know, everyone's got to lock in. We got to. And I remember the last time he said it. He's like, don't have any more chances. Like this is. He's like, this is it. He's like, if we want to do what we want to do, then then we gotta we gotta get going. But that that that's what was weird for me. He just kept saying, he's like, you know, we're still in it. We can still still do this and everything. And um, and then we kind of just went on a roll. Yeah, the the Rams game was one of those last games where I was like, man, they maybe they don't have it this year. You know, it was tough because I really wanted to see you guys make a run for Tom and that sort of thing. And the question I had about the Rams game was, what's it like looking inside and seeing Aaron Donald or feeling Aaron Donald, like in the B-gap? You know what I mean? Just like, is it, can you just sense the energy and the quickness and like, and then how much do you have to help the guard and how much does that make your day kind of shitty? I just remember like how powerful he is and, I remember I was trying to, I was trying to cut him off on the backside. He's just, he, he's so, he was always so low and he, he's so strong. I remember like, I was like, I, I, I couldn't move him at all. Like it felt like I didn't move him, him an inch. And I remember when he, when he came, he came out to the, the edge a couple of times and I remember like breaking the huddle and like turn around. I was like, I was like, wait, what's, I was like, what's he doing out here? I was like, I was like, what's this? And, uh, but he's just, he's just so, so powerful. It's, it's insane. Could he make the Pro Bowl at defensive end? I obviously, I think he could. I used to watch him rush when we go three man in St. Louis, and we'd go our odd front. Like if I was spelled, they'd kick him out to the left, and me and the other ends would sit there on the sideline and go, "Oh my God, he's better at our job than us." <laughs> he's a rookie. He's better at defensive end than me. You know what I mean? And and I just I yeah. When you break the huddle and turn around and see AD. I guess that's scary, but also how do you not tell that you're trying to cut him off on the backside in your stance? Like, you know, you got to play where you might have to cut him off. You line up and he tightens down or he's a little bit of ways away from you. How do you not give it away? <laughs> I mean, he probably, I, I think my split from the guard was like, I was just trying to get as close to him as I could. Like, and I was like, I know he's explosive. But like, I know he's strong. And I was like, 
I had to been staring right at him. Like I, I probably was leaning to like, there was probably a thousand tells to say, I'll, to say I was running that way towards him. But I don't know. I remember I took off running and I was like trying to, trying to reach him, but yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't moving. He wasn't budging. He'll turn that right shoulder pretty quick. You know, oh. you'll, you try to, you know, rip and get across him. And he's just somehow, I see a million tackles try it. It's just like, um, and he's another guy who's not going to talk a lot. Like, I don't think anybody's dumb enough to piss Khalil off, but like people will make AD mad. And like, when you make AD mad, then he's going to talk. And yeah. if AD's talking, that's not good. Cause he's not just talking. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's not like he like can get in his head and kind of like throw him off. It's like he'll he'll talk, but then when the ball snapped, he'll back it up as well. Who was the biggest shit talker this year besides Ryan Jensen? Um, oh, they, I get. Listen, all right, stop the press here because <laughs> I got a, I got killer stories from Stinny about like Jensen. What's your like? Oh fuck, this guy's crazy story. Oh jeez, I remember in camp. He, uh, I think he got, I think it's like a D lineman. I don't know if he like intentionally cut him, but something happened. And I remember they got into like a fight and uh, like Ryan was just screaming and everything. And then BA just told him to start running. And he, I mean, if you ask him, he'll tell you the same thing. He ran for probably like 30 minutes, like in, <laughs> in the Tampa heat, full pads, everything. And I remember like, we'd do our set. And I just remember like, I would always like look over at him and he's still running. And he like the first like 10 minutes of it, he was just cussing up a storm while he was running. And he comes back and like he tried putting him putting him right back in. <laughs> he's like, hell no. He's like, I'm not going back in. He's like, I can't, I can't breathe. And then he was he's like, he went over to the side and like threw his, like chucked his helmet down and just started like spewing. <laughs> and he was not a happy camper. I think for like four days, like after that. And yeah, grumpy, was, grumpy Ryan Jensen's probably no fun for the rookies. It's no fun for the D yeah. linemen. It's kind of a just a general annoyance at the to put it like lightly but honestly i don't even know if besides that i don't know if there's one story i just remember always in games when we played the saints in the playoffs i remember he drove this dude like into their sideline and i, I that was kind of like my job is like to to go get him after plays and i remember like looking around and i see like i see his red hair flowing in the side of the saints sideline i was like oh no and right i took off running over there and i i grabbed him like by the back of the pads like and i was trying to like steer him through traffic pretty much. And it, no matter, no matter what I did, he proceeded to like bump into every, like, like gives every saints player we pass a shoulder, but it's just, it's, it's fun. Like it's fun. That's, that was the story that, uh, that was the story that Stenny told. He said like, he always found a way to make contact yeah. with the players on the other team on the way back to the huddle. Like he was just walking through a tight hallway and wasn't slowing down. Uh, it's, it's funny your other teammate who's extremely eccentric and, uh, and fun is Gronk. Yeah. And I remember seeing the Gronk spike almost kill you. How traumatic was that experience? I thought I was dead. I mean, I hadn't been like that close to one and everyone was like, he scored <laughs> and I was running up to it and I seen him, he like always hits the ball and then does his wind up. It was just like instinct. I remember I was like, it's like I had, I mean, I was wearing a helmet, but it's like, I didn't have one on. I was like, it's coming right to my face. I was like, I'm dead. You know, a little flinch, and then people people thought it was funny. I just 
it just something clicked. I was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta protect myself. That was more some of the funniest shit I've ever seen. This five hundred pound dude who's wide as <laughs> the doorway is afraid of the ball because it came on Grog's head. But I, you know what? I don't blame you. That thing was coming out hot. Did you get drunk at the parade? Speaking of people that get drunk, sometimes <laughs> I got I was smoked. I know you were smoked. That's what Stenny said. <laughs> and me and Jensen, so we were like chilling. So we, we like went from the facility to the where they dropped us off to get on the boat. And like me and Jensen that morning, we, we met up at the facility and we're chilling there. He's like, Jensen's like, we got to go get beer. I'm like, all right. We went to the gas station and, and got a bunch of stuff. So we're like at the, the facility, you know, before we got on the buses and then we get to the boats and we get on and everything. And I remember it, it seemed like it was like an hour and a half before we like got, the boats actually started moving and everything. And they were just bringing out trays of like, I think it was like Michelob Ultra mm-hmm. and I mean, Jensen, I remember we're on the, like the tip of the boat, standing up, just screaming and like shotgun and beers and everything. And me and him were, I think, were pretty smoked. And all of a sudden, the boat started moving. We're like, "Prey hasn't started yet." <laughs> I think we drank our boat out of beer. And uh, I mean, there's some pretty good pictures of me and Jensen like standing on the tip of the boat before the prey started, just for some reason, just yelling. I was just screaming for some reason. And uh, and then yeah, we get to the. I remember, I mean, we're the whole time the boat. The, Boats were moving, we were drinking, and then we get to this. Um, I don't know where we were at, but there's like a stage and everything, and a bunch of you know, a bunch of people were there. I did like three interviews and I seen them on Twitter the next day. I did a pretty good job. And dude, yes, it's amazing how you keep it together. I was like, yeah, I've done two. I was lucky enough to do two, and they were land parades, okay, which mm-hmm. I feel like a boat parade, people are even more blackout because if you're on a boat, anyways, you get drunk. Yeah, like, like so. We were, I just, by the time we got to the end, they pulled me and Lane Johnson aside and they're like, yo, you guys want to talk? And we couldn't say no, but we were in no condition to talk. Yeah. And to think that as a kid, if you were thinking you'd play in the NFL, that part of that equation was that you would be blackout on national TV. Yeah. It's like, a pre- and not look too fucked up. You did a pretty good job, man. You did a pretty good job. So how many beers could Tristan Wirfs drink? Because I don't know if it's like an Andre the Giant thing with you or what. How many can you put down one sitting, you think? Michelob Ultras, because those are like... Those are like Bush Lights, my Bush Lights, my go-to. But so you've been drinking the one with the corn on the cob on the can this summer? I got, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a full fridge. That's a, uh, yeah, that's the, the, the corn cans, the buttered corn. It's delicious. Have you had the Bush Apple yet? Yeah. Yeah, they sent me. I, little, I stared at that. I stared at that in the in the in the aisle yesterday. How are those? They're pretty good. Okay, so how many of those bad boys could you put down the the, the bush light, the standards? Quite a few. Not like Andre Giant, but it's that's a lot. All right. So as far as your other great talents, because a lot of people know you for lifting trees. I just saw you jump on a forty-eight inch box. What what when was that? The other day. That was this morning. Oh, this morning. Okay. So you did something incredibly athletic this morning. It's really humbling to see you do stuff because I'm like, I don't know how I shared the field with guys like you, but I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, it says 345 BW. Is that body weight? Yeah. So you're weighing in at 345 and how, how heavy is that vest? 15 pounds. And it's a 48 inch box. What is the thing that you've done? That's the most impressive to you? athletically off the field i think uh probably the hand clean i did my my i think it was my sophomore year maybe sophomore going into junior year at iowa we have a wall that has like our our weight room records and like i would walk 
past it every single day, like going to lifting or going to practice. And like I seen Sheriff had Sheriff had two of the records. He had uh, the squat and the hand clean. Right. And then Gallery had the bench. And they're just seeing like seeing those two guys up there. And like Coach me and Coach Rilla had a lot of talks about all like those two guys. And uh like I was like, I really want my name up there. I, mean, I couldn't get the bench record. Like that was I don't know what it was, but it was unreal. I was like, I, I was like, I think I could get the the hand clean record one day. And like I started getting better at hand cleans. I started doing a lot more weight and everything. And I remember when it was like getting time to to do it, I was like, you know, I knew we had max outs in a couple of weeks. The week before Coach Doyle had recorded me, he took a video of me doing 425 for a double and moved it pretty fast. You know, and he said, he told me, he's like, watch this video every day. And so that's what I did for the whole week. I, I, I probably watched that thing like 300 times. I remember I got to the facility that morning and uh, guys were like, my teammates were like asking me like, Oh, what are you going to have today? Cause everyone knew I was going for it. And I had, I had no idea. I didn't, I had no idea how much I was going to have or, 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 or what I was going to do. And uh, I remember getting warmed up, like warmed up for the hang clean and everything. And like stuff was moving fast. Like I was, I was, I was feeling good. And then the last set of all of our lifts on our lift card is highlighted. We got to take it to a strength coach. Mm-hmm. And so they got to like check it off. So I took it to coach Doyle and it said on the card, it said like, it said four and a quarter. And I was like, okay, well, that's not bad. And I see him, he scribbles it out and writes in four fifty. I was like, I was like, Oh, I was like, Holy cow. And so I'm like loading up the bar and like guys from the first group and guys came early in the third group and there were like recruits in there and like all the mm-hmm. coaching and everything. They just started like circling around like where I was at and I was just loading up the bar. I, like I started getting like all like, like amped up the music was real loud. You know, I get, I get chalked like the camera crew, the cameras are in there. There's one guy in the rack in front of me. I get all chalked up and I'd like turn around and it's like, everybody's in there. And I picked it up off the rack. It felt like nothing. I was just so amped up. Like the, the adrenaline was running mm-hmm. at the first set and, or the first rep. And it went way higher than like, than I thought. I thought it was going to like hit here and I'd have to drop under it. I got it up. I got it up way high. I knew I needed three reps to break it. Cause they do like the calculated max, not like a one rep max. It's like I did four fifty for four and that was equaled 500. I don't know. Something. But I knew I needed three. I did first one, did the second one. Like the, I can hear just everybody and everything. And it was just cr- a crazy environment. And I was at three and I knew I broke it. And then I did four and it's just like the place just blew up. I like threw the weight down and everything. And, I, that, that was probably that was probably the most like bro there is nothing more hype than max out day in college bro like, yeah. here's the deal guys don't lift the same in the nfl like you know probably from coming in the in the locker room and in in the weight room and thinking like oh some of these older guys really don't lift a lot because as your body changes we can't do the things that y'all superhuman young guys can do and i wonder if you like if the weight coach was just obsessed with you, as soon as you walked into Tampa, he was like, we're going to be best friends. And like, you're going to be with me every day. Yeah. So I, I always, when I'm down there, his name is Corey. Like I lift, I lift with him every day. I think I got pretty close with him, but um, yeah, max out day in college football. Like it's, it's a good time. Can anybody on the Bucks beat you in wrestling? You were a tremendous wrestler in high school, right? I don't know about tremendous. I don't know about tremendous, but I was okay. I don't know, I don't know that anybody would, would want to wrestle you though. How much did you weigh in high school? Uh, so my senior year, I cut from 325 down to 285 to wrestle. And you can wrestle at 285. 
that's the yeah that's the max the cut off i mean fuck that dude like if i see you on my schedule i'm just like hey i got a mononucleosis man i come out bro <laughs> I mean, dudes were like, uh, disqu- like disqualifying themselves, getting ready to wrestle you. I, how much does that help with football? Is there actually a crossover? Hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think wrestling is the best thing I've done. You know, for for my football career, it's just down in the trenches. Like it's the it's the same thing. You know, it's you know you got to have your footwork right. And I think for like for a big thing for me, like in college, I was in some weird. I got into some funky positions at pass pro. Like just I don't know how. But like in wrestling, you get in scrambles and you don't know what's up and what's down at heavyweight. You don't get in a whole bunch of them, but I got in a couple. And it's just like, it helps you with body control. Like your hand, you know, your hand, like hand fighting is the, the whole basis of wrestling pretty much, you know, hand, hand, hand placement and everything. And, um, you know, your footwork. And if, if I were to go back, I would, I would hundred percent wrestle again. Is professional wrestling real? Yeah, I don't want to jump off a 12-foot ladder and land on my back. That's, That's what I'm saying. I'm with you. It's not real. Like, the outcome, we know it's staged, right? We know it's staged. It's, yeah, but I'm not going to go jump off a ladder. Like, I'm not going to go do that stuff. No, I agree with you on some tables and shit. Like, those guys are absolutely athletes. Another athletic feat that you have is uh, is is eating four scrambled eggs with cheesy hash browns, six pieces of bacon, oh. one, two burgers, a container of coleslaw, a container of potato salad, a lot of chocolate cake, four slices of bread, chips and queso, one entire meat lover's pizza, a container of chocolate cake and sleeve of Oreos and milk, which is great after 10 p.m. You eating this? I guess your girlfriend posted this. This is your daily diet or what, what's the truth? Oh, of- no. So she, I mean, she, she likes TikTok and everything. And at that time, that was like, there was like a, a trend or whatever people posting that. Mm-hmm. And this was over like three days. Like, so we had four days before camp started or something like, or, or we had a couple of days off before, right before camp. We had like the ramp up period last year, then a couple of days off and the camp started. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to eat what I want to eat. You know, these couple of days. So I'm wearing like three different shirts in the video, I think. And she like clipped them together and she posted it. And I didn't think it was going to blow up like that. And then it got like a million views. I was like, now everybody thinks I'm like a fat slob. Like, I, I don't no, know. I just think you're an enormous cat with good metabolism. Like, here's the deal. Like I look at that and I'm just more amazed because if I ate that, the only place it's going is my belly and you're using it for fuel, which is incredible. And so like, I think back to overeating before a hot training camp practice. And that's like the worst thing you can do. And yeah. I wonder like, oh. what do you do before a game? What do you do before a training camp practice? Cause they're two different things for a football player. Like if I vomit on the field down in Tampa, like no big deal. You know, if I have like a hamburger stuck here, yeah, you know, that feeling though, you get out of that hot field, some of that, uh, the, the coleslaw and the potato salad and that sort of stuff. I couldn't imagine going and practicing in the Tampa heat on a belly full of coleslaw. Like I, I love coleslaw, but that was, that like sends shivers down my spine before practice. I gotta like have, I gotta like eat like good stuff, like good fuel because it's so hot down there. And I, I lose, I lose like 14 pounds of practice. It was, it's like, especially in camp because it's so warm, but like the food at the facility is like pretty good, like healthy food and good for you, like good fuel. But no, I couldn't go out to practice on a, on a belly full of meat lovers, pizza and coleslaw and Oreos. I would, I would, yeah. I'd throw up. That'd be, that'd be rough. Did you eat that plate of lemon pepper orange chicken from uh, Buffalo Wild Wings that they made for you after the Super Bowl? I saw that on uh, on social, and I was wondering if you really if you really dove into that that setting you had there. So that was so there was like five people at my house for that. There was like my two buddies, my girlfriend, and Alyssa was there. 
she called me the night before and was like asking what I wanted, like for, for that, for that deal and everything. And it was, I got the call on the way back from the boat parade. So I was like, give me everything. I was like, mm -hmm. I was smoked ordering Buffalo Wild Wings. Like you could, that's yeah, the, dude. And you're a champion and it's like over dude. The picture is how that call came out. I was like, I was like fried pickle onion rings. We ordered a bunch of different wings and they came out with this sauce, the Champa Bay sauce fire so good and i was like just ordering everything we maybe ate like half like that's a lot of food there there's a lot of food there oh hell yeah it looks delicious though i'm like actually hungry right now as soon as we wrap i'm gonna go eat i'm starving yeah perfect meal you're going you're going to the chair what's your what's tristan worth's uh meal chicken and corn casserole my mom makes it it's the best thing in the entire world that was a quick answer too i, I You've already thought about this. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about it. It's the it's my go-to. Last one here, Iowa. There used to put, be a place called the Airliner. I hear is that still there? Yep. How many dollar slices can you eat on a Sunday? That was like that was the place. Like when I was in college, like we had this thing called like Black Card, and we'd get like on certain days of the week we get like twenty dollars to these certain restaurants so we could go like go eat always go get pizza. You got to go get pizza. I mean, you have to, um, we, we wouldn't get, I don't know if we'd do slices. Like we would just normally like me and my two roommates would go order a couple pizzas and it's good stuff though. Oh my God, dude. After you're 30 and that metabolism slows down, that's when you kind of pick and choose. But when I was your age, maybe a pizza and a half easy. And you got me by about a hundred pounds. So I can't even imagine. Tristan, man, really enjoyed it. I'm wishing you luck this year. Already one of the best uh, doing it. So, so keep, uh, keep grinding, man. Uh, love the way you play. You got any more good? Yeah, I got good. I had a birthday and I'm only mentioning this because birthdays are sweet and I'm and you think you're anti-birthday. You think, oh, everybody has one. You didn't do anything. You were just born. Yeah, all right. Well, life's hard, okay? We get one day out of 365. They should be celebrated. Um, I, uh, I, I hear from people I haven't heard from in a long time. I don't hear from others who you, you think I would. I, uh, I, I just think that they're, they're terrific, even though mine uh, low-key sucked ass I, I think they're worthy i think they're worthy of um our taking time out of our days to to acknowledge the people in our lives who have taken another trip around the sun which is kind of trippy to think about you know that's what it marks yeah, yeah, i don't yeah, know yeah, if yeah, you knew yeah. that well yeah 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 did you yeah 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 did you uh i know the whole trip around the sun thing did you um where was i in the line of uh well wishes on your birthday eight you said in terms of text messages, you were number eight. That's pretty damn good, dude, especially considering I'm two hours west of you. You were, you were in the six o'clock hour local time, which is V yeah. impressive. But yeah. I, I couldn't help but notice during the um, July 8th taping of our July 9th podcast, you did not mention my July 9th birthday uh, comments. Well, see, the, 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 the thing about that is you know, the people that I wished a happy birthday earlier, um, they're not personal friends. And there are some things I like to keep personal, keep between me and friends. If it's very special, um, I do it in person. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I noticed you tweeted happy birthday to me. 
uh, on my birthday. Was that more of a personal type? Did you mean to that was DM? Supposed to be a direct, that was supposed to be a direct message. Okay. All right. Was, you know, I sent you a GIF and everything, and I added you in the direct message just to be sure that you knew I was wishing you a happy birthday. It just went out to like 500,000 people. But as far as the podcast is concerned, yeah, I mean, like, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. Your birthday is very important this year because it's the first one that I've like predictably um, committed to, to memory. The thing about it is it wasn't on my calendar, July 8th, dude, your birthday's July 9th. You don't get two days. You get one day. Okay. I'm not texting Brock Lesnar on July 12th. I, you got the text at six 30. You got the tweet. I'd say you had a pretty good birthday, uh, when it comes to friends in Montana. You know, what's, you know, what's not so good. I got a, I have people in my telephone and not in my telephone, but I have people whose names I've saved in my telephone who they're great about texting on my birthday, but that's the entirety of our exchange. So there's mm. one person that goes seven years back. They wish me a happy birthday. I say, thank you. And that's it. That's I it. I don't know their birthday. We that's don't... why birthdays are unimportant. <laughs> birthdays are the birthdays. Birthdays are unimportant. Okay. First off, it's the biggest participation trophy in life. Like literally we've said this before, and maybe he's just setting me up for this rant but you got born. Congratulations. Like every other person that you've ever seen, birthdays are for children and people who should be thankful to be here. And I'm not talking about, I almost got hit by a car once. I'm talking about like, you're going through some serious shit right this moment. Okay. Like, so I'm just not a big birthday guy personally, but I totally respect the fact that people like to be wished a happy birthday. Uh, at the same time, I will say this, don't wish yourself a happy birthday. I mean, you can, but come on, dude. Like, I know it's a big thing. Happy birthday to me on Instagram. I know a lot of my friends might do it. I don't think anything less of you. I just think, I think the post is it's, it's funny. And that's not me. Yeah. That's a, that's a try hard deal right there. I, uh, yeah. Hey, today's your birthday. Happy birthday. I hope it's stellar. You have earned it. it. It's very difficult getting born, actually. I've come to learn this calendar year. You remember year. it well? You remember it well? Oh, well, I remember my daughter. And actually, um, we pulled out a photo album, Chris. And I saw the day I was born. It looked like I had gone through some shit, frankly. You made me- <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, uh, from what I hear. So, um, anyways, yeah, kudos, kudos to the moms out there. I mean, like, uh, kudos to, kudos to your lovely wife Kate and to your lovely daughter. But when she becomes an adult, eh, it's it's not as big a deal. Do you know how old I am, by the way? How old you are? Thirty-five. Uh, I like how you repeated the question. Buy yourself a little time. Come up with a number, and you came up with the right number. So, congrats. Tough Good crowd job. here. He wants an early birthday wish. He wa- he wants me to he wants me to know his his age, you know, before he asked the question. Are you seeing a pattern here? It is Richard Simmons' birthday tomorrow. Uh, oh no, it's Richard Simmons' birthday hour today. He's seventy three. Christy Yamaguchi is fifty today. Uh, Anna Friel, who I I've never heard of, but she seems lovely. She is. I don't even want to say. I don't know how old she is today. Brock Lesnar is forty four today, uh, and then tomorrow you're today. Uh, our tomorrow, we've got Cheech uh, from Cheech and Chong. You know, the drugs movie. He's 74, which goes to show him and Willie Nelson are proof that like smoking weed's not bad for you. I mean, these guys are pillars of health. Uh, Harrison Ford is 78. Michael McDonald and Willie Nelson just put out a fucking 
single together. Willie's like 85. He's a, he's just, anyways, Harrison Ford is 78. That's really going to mess you up when he turns 80, right? Guy's been in three to five plane crashes off screen. Uh, and he's still kicking. He crashed into a golf course one year. It was just like Harrison Ford crashes playing again on a golf course. Um, oh, one more MF doom who passed away last year, sadly, uh, would have had a birthday today. So we're going to add doomsday to the layup line today. Taylor, you got me loud and clear. I got you. I used to cop a lot, but never cop, no drop. Hold mics like ponytails tight and bobble ops. All right. So we got some voicemails, but I, I, somebody said, somebody suggested that we do a little quick segment on, uh, you know, people telling their stories about the worst times they met celebrities or athletes. Do you have any? Yeah. Guy by the name of Richie Incognito. Besides Richie Incognito, who you, you've told this story a few times. You know, I don't think I've had a lot of bad encounters. I peed right behind. Let me rephrase. I was in line to pee right behind Magic Johnson at <laughs> Madison Square Garden, and he left the toilet in good shape. I mean, it's maybe not the ideal setting to meet a Magic Johnson in a bathroom. That's the only place to meet a Magic Johnson. But uh, no, by and large, the, uh, the, the famous people that I have met, usually in conjunction with, with you somehow, have been lovely. That's good. I try to curate them for you as we've uh, curated these messages. Except for that Taylor, Ryan Rosillo, he's an asshole. Uh, talentless hack, according to you. All right. Hit us with it, Taylor. We got some good voicemails. We haven't heard any of these. Yeah, we have. Uh, here's your first one. Chris, what's up? This is Justin Sutherland from Lowell, Massachusetts. Live out here in Virginia now. Um, Twitter handles JSouth33. So meeting what I thought was going to be my idol at the time, 1995 AFC Championship game. I get woken up at like 3 in the morning by the boys club bus driver telling me he's got an extra ticket to go. I'm hyped as shit, 7 years old. We get out there, we get to go on the practice field, watching these guys warm up, and then we get to run on the fucking field under the flag. Um, so we get out there, we're running around, they're doing the anthem. Teams are lined up on the sides of the field. They're all hyped, ready to fucking go. And I'm running down the line. I'm seeing Chris Slade and, and, and Ben Coates and all these guys, and then I come across Drew Bledsoe, my idol. I, I did, you know, all this stuff in school on him, grew up in Washington State, played at Washington State, did all this stuff. And uh, and I go up to him, and the only thing I brought with me that I could scrounge up was this rinky-dink CVS memo notepad um, that we stopped and got on the way there. And I grabbed a Sharpie, and I run up all excited. Hey, Drew, can I get your autograph? And I don't know if this is verbatim. He may not cuss. I'm not sure, so I'm not going to quote this. Um, maybe it was in less words, but it was basically like, get the fuck away from me, kid. And... I just like died right there on that field. Luckily, we you know we went on and won. Brett Favre whooped our ass in the Super Bowl, so it is what it is. But that's my story about meeting your hero at that time, and then you know not what you thought it was going to be. So that's that's my stuff. Hopefully, it's good enough for the pod. Take care. Well, I love the accent. You haven't lost the accent. Welcome to uh, God's country. Um, hey, shit happens. I'm not gonna. Maybe in your mind's eye, it was different. I mean, I, I Drew Bledsoe's such a classy guy. I doubt, I, I don't know. What do you say, mate? Well, color me shocked that the fellow from Mass has 33 at the end of his Twitter handle. I, I believe the story 
it jogged my memory from when we were about 16 years old. Anna Kornikova is on a redemption tour playing a bunch of small tennis tournaments <laughs> as right. she gets back into form. Uh-huh. And we're, uh, we're, we're teenagers. So she's playing nearby at the Boris Head Inn. And I do something that is definitely illegal or illegal adjacent. See her walking off the court. She's going with her coach back to her hotel room. So a couple buddies and I follow her back to her hotel room. That's, that's, that's totally standard 16 year old stuff, huh? Right now she can be in any one of like four rooms. We, we lagged a little bit behind. We were, we were on a mission here. We, we couldn't be too obvious at any rate. We, we knock on a couple doors and we get to the right room. Anna Kornikova, I shit you not, opens the door in a bathrobe and goes, and I'm going to do the accent, and I mean no offense to anyone, this is my fucking room. Get the fuck out. <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. She slammed the door. And so then I wrote my uh, college admissions essay to the University of Michigan all about how I stalked Anna Kornikova and uh, how it, as our guy said, it, it can be difficult to meet your hero sometimes. And um, uh, Michigan called our high school and said, hey, this guy was sort of on the fringe here, but that uh, really creepy essay put him over the top. I got into Michigan because of, the, uh, because of stalking Anna Kornikova. You got into Michigan by admitting that you were a creep. Yes, yep. And do we call her Anna Kornikova? Am I being? I don't know. I don't know, but I'd like, can we publicly apologize for what you did? Yes. I would like to publicly apologize to Anna Kornikova for everything I just said I did. Yeah, it was bad. It was real bad. Big fan. It was bad. Big fan if you'd like to come on the pod. Probably the most embarrassing thing you've ever said on this podcast. Uh, All right. So, so hit us with another voicemail. But yeah, I, Drew Bledsoe, good guy. I'm sure as a kid that felt crushing, even if you said to get away. And sometimes you can hear it a little bit different. Also a tough place to get an autograph signed on the field. Pre-game. For the AFC Championship. Maybe you looked like you were a little older than seven, and he thought you were like a teenager. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. If a cat ran up to you pre-game, what do you do? If it's a kid, I'm probably going to sign, and I'm probably going to look at his parents like, just, hey, can you get control of the kid? Like eye security a little bit? Like why? What's going on here? Yeah, exactly. But, but our security guy would snatch him. A big, big Dom. Boo would have said, hey, you want to sign this Dom? Shout out to Dom. Paisan up there in uh, Philly. I would have told Dom, I say, find that kid after the game. Let's get him an autograph. I'm doing warm-ups. And Dom would have been like, I got you, Boo. All right, we got an Eagles fan here. I think he might have been a little occupied while recording his message, but I'll let you guys figure that out for yourself. Hey, this is Nick out here on the West Coast. Even though I'm a huge Birds fan. My story is from the 2005 NFL Pro Bowl. Right after the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, I was lucky enough to go to Hawaii. And I was wearing my T.O. jersey on the Hilton campus. And I see T.O. and his bodyguards. And I'm probably nine years old at that time. And T.O. wouldn't sign my jersey. Super bummed. I still love T.O. to some degree. But definitely super disappointed. In other news, though, Joey Porter signed my jersey after chugging six glasses of ice water. So that was my highlight. Missed the Pro Bowl in Hawaii. Cheers. Love the show. Peace. So players, especially skill players, turn down autographs all the time. Especially when they have bodyguards. 
especially if you if you have a bodyguard, chances are you're probably not going to get a, a, a you know an autograph. If you see your favorite and that person has uh, security around them, it's probably a no go. But um, yeah, the, the the water sound there, hot brown coming down, no doubt. You thought there was a hot brown coming down, no, no question. doubt. Uh-uh. No question, my man was taking a deuce. Yes, correct. Good for him. Yeah, no, I mean it's a power move calling in the show and just just sending a gerbil off the high dive down there. I mean, like, I, it's it's a power move. I'll say that. Anchors um, away. Next one, and then Megan's got to go. Hey, this is Michael Kist. My Twitter handle is at Michael Kist NFL. I had a story about meeting an athlete. So I grew up in the Philadelphia area. Later moved near Clearwater, Florida. And I want to say it was about 12 years ago, me and Darren Dalton of the Phillies, three-time all-star catcher, all that, we used to frequent the same bar. We had never talked or met or anything like that, but we went to the same bar. First time I had an interaction with him was I was sitting at the bar. My back was turned to him. He approaches me from behind. And all I feel is like this presence, like next to my ear, like to the point where like, I think he may have like slightly nuzzled my ear with his nose. And he asked me for a light and I kind of turn around and I see that it's him. And I had just gotten a book of matches because I had forgotten my lighter. So I grab a book of matches and I give it to him. I'm like, here, take the whole thing. This is so weird. So he takes it and nods and walks away. And that was that. I do some Googling in the meantime. I find out maybe he's gone a little bit insane or whatever the case may be. Two weeks later, same bar. Darren Dalton is there again. I'm like, oh man, this is kind of creepy so i'm sitting at the bar again he's sitting at a table behind me and all of a sudden he walks up to my right side and he's got a plate that's got a burger and some fries on it and he goes hey man i I wasn't as hungry as i thought do you want this burger and he sets the plate down of this burger and this burger has like one bite taken out of and i don't know maybe he picked out the fries or something like that i'm like no man i'm good i'm really not that hungry he's like no 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 no. i don't don't want it to go to waste here you go man and he just sets the plate down and, and he walks away and it was the weirdest two interactions uh, that I've had with an athlete, for sure. And that's the whole story. Him nuzzling my ear, asking for a light, and then giving me this not even half-eaten burger and just leaving it for me. So that's my story. Love the pod, man. Thank you. Oh, man. What the hell was going on with Darren Dalton? I did hear he was a eccentric cat. That's classic. I mean, the, the ear nuzzling thing is a little bit odd but the burger thing i mean who wants a burger to go to waste guy probably just felt bad dutch man i get darren dalton confused sometimes with lenny dykstra and yet maybe that's not right they might be kindred spirits Uh, darren dalton's no longer with us but uh a, a lot of similarities between those two cats i feel like well lenny dykstra is an all timer Making you got to run, you got to do some real estate. I'll, I'll, I'll close the show with two or three more voicemails and see if we got any solid gold. All right, bro. You take care. Take care of yourself. Flush the toilet when you leave. All right, Taylor, hit me with some more. Hey there, Chris Long. This is the judge from Twitter. So, uh, 1991, Shreveport, Louisiana. Watching and went to a Van Halen concert. Didn't know anything about Alice in Chains really at the time other than Man in the Box and, uh, had me a few 
before the show and started flipping old Lane the bird and homeboy jumped down and popped me in the head once and Mike Starr spit at me and hit the guy next to me who really wasn't happy about that. Anyway, uh, then he uh, commenced to calling me a few names after their set. That's about it, man. And I love Allison Chains now, though. So, all right, that's my whole story. I mean, I don't know any other celebrities. All right, have a good man. Taylor, what was that guy's name so I can address him? The Judge. Judge. All right, so the Judge, I told him when he tweeted at me that Lane Staley punched him in the head. Um, Lane Staley, of course, Allison Chain's front man, criminally underrated band. I mean, not by people who know that scene or that like Allison Chains, which just, you know, we've been down this road before talking about Seattle and that grunge time period. But like, if you got punched in the head by Lane Staley, you have one of the best stories um, at any dinner party you ever go to. And I love the fact that the judge realized that it was kind of part of the game and that he grew to love uh, Allison Chains. How could you not? Uh, all around a pretty incredible story. And I, I guess the follow would be, and you, you're welcome to call back in, Mr. Judge, but uh, did it hurt? Uh, was it an overhand right? Was it a hook? How did he look throwing that punch? I could see Lane Staley being a really chaotic puncher. Like not like a, you know, not like a technical, like I'm going to throw my right cross and, and I know how to guard. And I know, I just think Lane Staley was punching off just pure emotion. And I'm very curious how that felt, but that's an amazing story, dude. That's that, that might be the best one. It had nothing to do with athletes. So shout out to the judge. Uh, oh yeah. There's one more. I can't fucking believe this is real. Amazing. And the guy called in and got too excited, forgot to leave a message. Well, um, that's my favorite one we got right there. So shout out to that guy. <laughs> so, yeah, makes off selling real estate. I'm closing the show out. Uh, and uh, we'll be back later this week uh, with more. Hope y'all are having a great one. Y'all take care. Thank you.